Well, good morning and welcome to the weekend services here at Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at CCC, and it's my privilege to spend some time with you this weekend, whether you're here in the sanctuary or over in East Hall or watching online. We're just glad you're spending some time with us. We're glad that you're here. I want to continue our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. We've been spending time going through each commandment, but with a particular purpose in mind. You know, Jesus is asked in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, a really interesting question. Somebody asks him, what is the most important command or rule in the Bible? Now, that's an important question because many of us think of the Bible as a book of rules, a book of laws, a book of commands. That's actually not what the Bible is, but that's how a lot of us think about it. So it makes you kind of want to lean into Jesus' answer. And Jesus replies that the most important command is this one, that you would love God with everything that you are. And he offers just free of charge that the second greatest command is that you'd love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, and this is really the most interesting part of his answer. He says that actually all the laws, all the commands, all the rules of the Bible really just boil down to these two things. That Jesus is saying, if you show him a law in the Bible, a rule in the Bible, a command in the Bible, he will be able to explain to you how really that command is just telling you, love God and love your neighbor. In essence, Jesus is saying there are only two rules in the Bible, and they are love God and love your neighbor. And so what we're doing over the last five weeks, and still with a few more to go, is we're kind of putting that to the test. We're taking the most famous commands in the Bible, the Ten Commandments, and we're looking at a different one each week, and we're asking, how is it that this command connects to love, love for God and love for your neighbor? Is it really true that that this rule is really just pointing us in that direction? We're going to do that this week by looking at the Sixth Commandment, which you can find in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible, I'd love to encourage you to take it out and open it to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Turn quickly, because it won't take long to read. Very short. If you don't have a Bible or you just can't turn quickly, you can check out the screen behind me. If you're in East Hall, fire up that app on that digital screen so you can see it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Here is the Sixth Commandment. This is what it says. You shall not murder. Told you, pretty sweet, pretty short and sweet. You shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment. And I want to use three questions to walk through that commandment and to ask how it connects to love. And here are my three questions. If you're a note taker, write these down. And if not, just kind of have them in the back of your mind to follow along. The first question I want to ask is why is murder wrong? Why is murder wrong? Number two, I want to ask, why is murder relevant? And number three, why is murder our rescue? Why is murder wrong? Why is it relevant? And why is it our rescue? Let's start with the first one. Why is murder wrong? That might seem like a simple question to you. Maybe not a question worth asking. Why is murder wrong? It seems pretty obvious. Someone was alive and now they're dead. Kind of the basic rule of human morality is that that if a decision or an action harms someone else, it's wrong. And last time I checked, 100% of murders involve the harm of someone else. So is it even worth asking why murder is wrong? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it self-evident? 
Well, you might be surprised to know that actually a lot of people in our culture are asking how exactly we know that murder is wrong. Increasingly in our culture, this is becoming a question worth asking. It's not something you can just take as fact. Like, for example, have you ever heard of a college called Princeton? Are you familiar? Good school. Go Tigers, right? Princeton. Good school. In fact, people move to towns like Hudson to put their kids in good schools so that hopefully their kids will get to go to colleges like Princeton. It's an Ivy League school. And if you did send your kid there, boy, that would be something to brag about at the country club. But here's what you'd find if your kid went to Princeton. The chairman of the ethics department at Princeton is a guy named Peter Singer. And Peter Singer, in a lot of the books that he's written, has talked a lot about life and death and things like murder. And Singer actually argues that uh, just being human doesn't make you a person. Being a member of the species Homo sapiens is not the same thing as being a person. Singer argues to be a person, you really have to have two things, rationality and autonomy. In other words, you have to be able to think for yourself and you have to be able to live on your own. And Singer will argue that if you lack one or both of those things, you're not a person. You might be human, but you're not a person. And therefore, if you're not a person, it is actually not wrong to kill you. In fact, in some of his writings, he will go so far as saying that not only should parents be able to terminate the life of a child in utero, but they should really be given a period of about 28 days to then, after birth, make a decision as to whether or not they think the child should live. Because a 26-day-old child is not actually a person to him. He'll argue the same thing for the mentally handicapped or the physically disabled or the elderly who no longer can take care of themselves. To him, those are not people. Therefore, it is not murder to kill them. That's at Princeton. You ever heard of Oxford? Good school, right? One of the best universities in Europe. One of the professors there who is most famous, he's now in emeritus status, is Richard Dawkins, famous atheist. Uh, Richard Dawkins actually tweeted out last week, around the 18th, you can go look at it, I'm going to paraphrase it. He, he tweeted out this thought-provoking question. He said, soon we will be able to cultivate human steak. Would you eat it? I wouldn't, but it's hard to say Why? I don't know about you, it's not that hard, really, if you think about it, but such are the thought-provoking questions that are being asked at Oxford. You see, we do have to actually ask the question, why is murder wrong? Because they're asking it at Oxford, and they're asking it at Princeton, and they're starting to ask it all over our culture. That shouldn't shock us, by the way. Because as more and more people convert to the worldview of scientific materialism, which says that all we are really is the, is the product of blind evolution, that all the world is is biology and chemistry and physics, we're here by chance, that all we are are animals living in the natural world. If that's true, then why is murder wrong? When you watch the National, natural, national Geographic Channel, and you see a lion eat a gazelle, you might turn the channel because it's gruesome, but you don't go on Facebook and join the coalition against the murder of gazelles. That's just nature. And more and more thinkers are saying, if all we are animals, and if all we have is nature, then why is it wrong for a strong animal to kill a weak one? By the way, I wonder if you're here this weekend and you would not call yourself a Christian, and you maybe would think of yourself as a materialist, how you would answer that question. 
Because if all we are are animals and all we have is nature, then what is justice? What is equality? What is murder? Those are just social constructs we're imposing on a natural world that rejects them. After all, the strong eating the weak is the way nature goes. So how is it then that we can say that murder is wrong? If you're a materialist, I hope that question keeps you up tonight. The Bible actually has an answer for that question, by the way, and, it, and the answer isn't that there's a rule against it. So we, we, we don't find the answer to why murder is wrong in Exodus 20, 13. We find a rule that says it's wrong, but the answer for why it's wrong actually comes from the very beginning of the Bible. In fact, you can find it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Let me read those to you. This is why the Bible would say that murder is wrong. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, the Bible says that the reason why murder is wrong is that every single person is made in the image of God. That the value of human beings transcends the value of all of God's creation. Not because God's creation isn't good. In fact, in Genesis, when God makes the entire universe, he looks over it and says, it is good. God loves everything that he's made, but he loves people a little more. And the reason why is because it is people alone who have this relationship with him. It is people alone who bear his image. The Bible says that our value, your value and mine, and the value of all people has nothing to do with where they're born or what they accomplish in life or what they don't. Their value has to do in the fact that they are made in the image of God. And this is why the Bible will say that all people have value. Because after all, in, in, in a culture that rejects God, everyone can't be equal. Some are smarter, some are stronger, some are faster, some are more successful, some are wealthier. That's just the way it is. But the Bible says those things aren't where our value comes from. That regardless of how smart or strong or wealthy or successful, regardless of where you're born or your gender or your ethnicity, all people have value because all people are made in the image of God. Therefore, then, murder is not fundamentally a sin against the person you murder. Murder is fundamentally an act of sin against God himself. It is defacing and devaluing the image of God. Murder is a sin against God himself. And that's why it's wrong. But that leads me to my second question, which is to ask, why is it relevant? It's totally fair if you're thinking, you know, Zach, before this sermon began, I thought murder was wrong. I came in this morning thinking murder is wrong. I'm going to leave this morning thinking murder is wrong. That, I got that. In fact, most of us here would say we did not spend the weekend murdering. That this is the one command that we feel we have down. So why is it relevant then to talk about murder? Well, first of all, murder is a major part of our culture. 
And it takes many forms, but if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, I really want you to understand that this is why the issue of abortion is so meaningful to so many Christians. It is not because Christians feel as though we ought to control women or their bodies. Far from it. Rather, Christians believe because the Bible teaches that all people in utero or out bear the image of God. 2016 is the last year that we have national statistics for the lives that have been aborted. It's good news that in 2016, less people were aborted than in any year prior that we have actually measured the statistic. It is bad news, however, that in 2016, 623,000 children were aborted. And the Bible would say that is 623,000 people made in the image of God. Now, I have to be honest, this is a particularly passionate and poignant subject matter for me for a couple of reasons. One is my, my own mother was a sophomore in college when she found out she had an unwanted, unplanned pregnancy. That was me. But the second reason it's important to me is I have five children, as you know. The fifth child, Ella, is adopted. About a year and a half ago, a 14-year-old foster girl ran away from home and came back pregnant. The father was incarcerated. And she made a very courageous choice to carry that child to term. And that child is now my daughter, Ella. In fact, I brought a picture. There she is. Ella is beautiful, right? Very cute full of life, but her value doesn't come from being beautiful. Her value comes from being made in the image of God. And listen, I want you to know if you're here and you're a woman and what brought you in this weekend was an unwanted, unplanned pregnancy, that we are so serious about coming alongside and helping you. We have an adoption fund here at the church. We have families in the church right now who are looking to adopt. We have others that will be looking to adopt if you ask them to. We want to help you. You are not alone. And all you have to do after the service is come find me and that we will give you all the help we can. But children are made in the image of God. But here's the thing. If the reason why murder is wrong is because people are made in the image of God, then it is not just taking life that this commandment is actually speaking about. The reason why I say that is if murder is wrong because people are made in the image of God, therefore murder is violating or defacing the image of God, so too would anything else that violates or devalues the image of God. In other words, the sixth commandment really isn't do not murder. It is really you shall value life. And when you put it that way, there are a lot of things that fly in the face of that commandment. Now, you might think I'm exaggerating. You might say, well, no, Zach, it says don't murder. So as long as we don't murder, there's only one thing that's murder. And as long as you don't do that, you haven't broken the commandment. But you might be surprised to know that is not what Jesus thought. In fact, this is what he says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. For us, those of old would be those who were listening eight minutes ago or so. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. It's interesting that Jesus connects murder and anger. Murder and insults. Murder and calling someone a fool. What's the connection? Now, it's pretty obvious that he's not saying they're the same. I don't know about you. I would rather someone be mad at me than murder me. I'd even rather you hate me than murder me. Certainly murder is taking something to the extreme, but what he's saying is the spirit behind anger and the spirit behind murder are the same. Let me tell you a quick story that I think will make the point. As a young pastor, I I had a man in my church in Cleveland years ago asking me to meet. There were some things he wanted to talk about. So we eventually did meet once our calendars synced up at a Buffalo Wild Wings. And I don't say that because they're endorsing this message, just because that's how vivid the memory is for me. I know where we met. We sat down and looked at each other and I said, okay, why did you want to meet? And and without even blinking, he looked at me and said, hey, if you're my pastor, there are some things you need to know about me. I said, okay. And he said, here's the first one. I regularly and habitually cheat on my wife. Now, when he said that, I laughed. Because I had to be a joke. Uh, first of all, because that's not the kind of thing you say at a Buffalo Wild Wings. And, and, and second, that's not, people are not usually that honest with pastors. Usually you guys are so busy praying and reading your Bibles that you don't do much else in your lives. So, so, so for him to look at me and tell me that caught me off guard. And, I, and after I realized he wasn't joking, I looked at him and said, Why? How do you justify that? And he said, well, he said, do you have men in the church who struggle looking at pornography? And I said, yeah, we do. He said, let me tell you something, Zach. Pornography is just adultery for cowards. He said, I just go all the way. I go to a real place, meet a real woman and do a real thing. What was his point? He's acknowledging that physical adultery is the far end of the spectrum But he's saying, do you think a wife who catches her husband looking at pornography feels any less betrayed? Any less violated? Like the trust of her marriage is any less eroded? No, what's he saying? He's saying, maybe I push it to the extreme, but the spirit of what they're doing and the spirit of what I'm doing is the same. Jesus says, that's the relationship between anger and murder. Well, think about it this way. Have you ever been driving in your car and been cut off? What am I saying? You live in Northeast Ohio. Of course you have been. 